content found on thebestdayever.com from David Wolf and New Horizon Health, Inc. is for informational purposes only and is in no way intended as medical advice, as a substitute for medical counseling, or as treatment cure for any disease or health condition, and nor should it be construed as such because that would be illegal. Always work with a qualified health professional before making any changes to your diet, supplement use, prescription drug use, lifestyle, or exercise activities. Please understand that you assume all risks from the use, non-use, or misuse of this information. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's interview with featured speaker at our upcoming Longevity Now conference, Nadine Artemis. The conference is almost sold out, and it's one week away. Next Friday, February 7th through Sunday, February 9th, we have an extraordinary lineup of incredible speakers sharing their latest cutting-edge insights into anti-aging, longevity, beauty, and how to live the most extraordinary life ever. I'm thrilled that Nadine Artemis once again will be joining us at the event and sharing her information on how to keep the body healthy. Just so you understand who Nadine Artemis is, she's a gifted aromacologist and visionary who gathers and works with the purest ingredients and the intelligence embodied in plant juice to create a revolutionary line of essential oils, elixirs, serums, and perfumed poetry for health, skin care, and beauty. Nadine, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. Oh, it's always my pleasure. Thank you. We've heard you speak about so many different topics at the Women's Wellness Conference, the Longevity Now Conference, and those topics include skin care, self-dentistry, breast health, and sun exposure. A lot of our listeners are curious about your personal diet. When it comes to diet, what food do you eat and what do you recommend as your overall approach to food? Yeah, well, food is so important, as we all know, and it's really our foundation for healthy living. So over 20 years ago, I'm actually like 25 years ago now, um, I made the decision to never eat processed food again and only eat organic. And that has been a foundation that's been serving me for a few decades. Um, within that structure, I have tried different things, going from macrobiotic macrobiotic to fully raw to all different kinds of things within that realm. And where I'm at for the past few years, uh, especially with my research into dental care and having birthed and breastfed a babe for so long, is that I do include only uh, the purest of um, some animal products like some dairy, eggs, cheese, sometimes some wild game. And it has to be wild and it has to be unpasteurized or pastured, meaning eating grass. So because I feel, I also feel like whether we're doing um, raw vegan or vegetarian or let's call it paleo, because I'm certainly not going to talk about like just the standard American diet because we're way past that now, is I see that there's pitfalls to each area. Like you can't just do paleo and eat like regular meat at all. You know what I mean? It has to be the purest. And the fats are so important for no matter how you're eating, we have to have the purest of the fats. We have to have the highest quality fats that aren't rancid and aren't processed. And we cannot eat food that is grown in the shadows of pesticides and factory farming, period. And then I feel like what I've learned about um, when I was coming off of like being raw vegan for so long, I went to grains because I didn't want to eat any animal products, but I felt like 
I didn't want grains. And then the more I studied about grains, and I'm so thankful that there's like the book Wheat Belly out there now, and that really goes into grains and having a high-carb diet. You want to have your blood sugar level below 80. It's it's like keeps everything at that beautiful anti-inflammatory level. And then the other issue with grains is that so that's where sort of what you can have an issue if you're just if you're vegetarian because you might eat like oats for breakfast, lentils for lunch, and rice for dinner. And we have to also be very careful with grains because of blood sugar issues, because of gluten, but also because of aflatoxins, aspergillus mold, ascomycete fungus. All of that grows in the way the grains are stored, or those are being fed these moldy grains to, um, you know, the cattle. And then the other issue, of course, with factory farming, besides this just the most horrific thing ever invented, is that then there's, you know, chemicals, antibiotics, hormones, and all of that going in there. And then I see sometimes an issue a bit, if it's just raw vegan, is it could be high in nuts and fruits. And nuts have a lot of phytic acid, and so do grains. And that's an anti-nutrient, and that can inhibit our ability to get phosphorus into our bones, which can cause decay in the teeth. And then, of course, if we're eating too much fruit, fruit's a beautiful thing, but it can spike our blood sugar levels. Could you talk a little bit about, or maybe go into more depth about the relationship between nutrition and keeping the proper hormone ratios, particularly as we get older? It's such a huge topic. I feel like sometimes we're starting at the at the other end where we're thinking about how do we balance uh, or maybe we're adding to it or we're thinking about um, hopefully not H classic HRT, but maybe bioidenticals. But the first thing to do is really look at where are are we ingesting or applying or inhaling foreign estrogens because that can throw the whole thing off. So we want to eliminate sources of xenoestrogens, which are the foreign foreign as an outside our body estrogen mimics, and that could be from plastics, cosmetics, and food. That's from, you know, like phthalates and um, BPA and all that kind of stuff. And then there's sources of metalloestrogens, and those are heavy metal compounds that come from toxic metals that are estrogen mimics, and that could be from mercury fillings, aluminum in the deodorant, lead, cadmium, or um, again from pesticides because then you've got something like atrazine, which is a very widely used chemical, and that shows up in it. There was a study from Berkeley that showed how that castrated 75% of adult male frogs because what it does is it converts our precious testosterone and progesterone into estrogen. So then you've got that mix of heavy metals and estrogen, and then we want to eliminate sources of mycoestrogens and myco being meaning fungal. So there's sources of fungal estrogens and that can come from corn, uh, wheat, grains. It comes from the storage of grains because it just naturally grows in them. So we're eating that directly or then maybe that's being fed to the animals that then we're eating. And then there's also synthetic mycoestrogens and these pharmaceutical ones are added to animal feed so that they have more muscle mass and a study in 2011 of New Jersey high school girls showed that they had 78% mycoestrogens in their urine so the sources are coming from so many places including 
um, you know, what the creams and lotions, the deodorants we're putting on, the birth control pills, IUD, those newfangled things. I don't even know what the rings and the, all the birth control methods have yeah. often have some kind of hormonal issue. So first, that's just got to be completely, those things are going to be completely eliminated from, from the diet. Um, and then, you know, then you want to have liver function because if we don't have liver functioning properly, then we get backup of excess estrogen in our body, even the ones that we can't, that are natural and we can't process. So um, that could be a reason for hormonal ac- acne around the time, like PMS time, um, because the liver just can't process its own hormones. So we want to get, we have like this real estrogen dominance right now um, in North American culture for men and for women, and that you want to be eliminated. And then you want to see where your cycle's at if we're talking about women. And then you can use things like, you know, natural progesterone cream if needed, if the, if the cycle's shortened. But also you, and you've, and you've done so, so, you've shared so much information with this, but then you want to look at probably testing your hormones and seeing where you're at, you could be fine, you know, but there's so, it's so intricate, but the, but the probiotics, they also help all of this function. They help the liver function. So it's like, we can never forget the guts when we're, when we're looking at, at the whole picture. And so when our hormones get thrown off or when other functions in our body get thrown off, then this becomes a perfect breeding ground for diseases like cancer which is a disease that's definitely touched your life in a significant way. Your mother passed away due to breast cancer, and of course tens of thousands of women are being diagnosed with breast cancer every year. What are your thoughts on the diagnosis process that modern medicine's adopted, and what do you think of mammograms? Yeah, it's a fascinating topic um, because I think, you know, we are looking at this sort of epic estrogenic issue um, because statistically it's said that one in seven women will be diagnosed and I believe that's a North American statistic but when we unpack the statistics associated with mammograms there's just so many interesting findings Um, and the major issue of course is that mammograms the diagnosis of this disease is done with a tool of radiation radiation is, I mean, there's a lot of debate over what chemicals or if chemicals do cause cancer. I don't feel like it needs to be debated, but um, people are still questioning these things. But radiation is actually not debated if that causes cancer. That is, it is official. And so, so uh, of course, not knowing what causes cancer in the medical world, they're like, well, we've got to do early screening with mammography. But the thing is, we're, we're screening, you know, thousands, if not millions of asymptomatic women with this 50-year-old technology. And we've had a lot of advances in technology, and mammography is not one of them. It's, it's still functioning. There's been some changes, but the, the heart of it is still very archaic. And what a mammography does is it scans for cancer by blasting radiation ions a thousand times greater than a chest x-ray and at 40 pounds of fresh pressure because you have to take these great spherical orbs of yours and flatten them like a pancake so that it can be this like two-dimensional x-ray reading. If like how it has been recommended that you have a decade of annual mam- mammograms and you're premenopausal, then Radiation exposure is similar to the radiation received by women who were just outside Hiroshima's atomic epicenter. And
and your your chances of developing cancer from mammography increase anywhere from 3% to 10% with each additional year. And of course, the whole thing I've heard is completely painful because they're squashing these beautiful glands. And if there is cancer, it can lead to a lethal spread of the cancerous cells if they do exist. There has been some changes. The United States Preventive Task, uh, Task Force is now recommending, they've modified, and they said that women should not get mammograms before 50. Now, that was modified, but I don't think that the PR surrounding that modification got out there because I know a lot of women don't even know that. And, of course, it's different in different countries. Some women say, I mean, some countries will say um, none, um, none uh, premenopausally or every three years some countries say so it's not like it's like universally decided on and then the other issue is it's the it's supposed to be the early screening but if they're seeing something in your breast it, it the cancer could already have been developing for six years and then the other issue is because it's this archaic flawed technology is um what can show up as a mass or like would cause concern and then that might send you to a biopsy is there could be shadows, there could be calcifications, fibroids. Um, so it's not that, you know, sensitive of an instrument. Then the other issue that it, that's really entwined with diagnosis mammography is that since mammography has been really widespread since the 80s, it has led to an 800% increased diagnosis of DCIS, which is ductal carcinoma in, in situ, which is a benign zero-stage cancer. So that's where it is one in seven women being diagnosed with breast cancer, but these statistics for the DCIS are being included, which is interesting because, again, it's benign, it's zero-stage, it's, you know, most likely never, ever going to spread. And it, so, so that the DCIS is about 25% of all breast cancer diagnosis. And they call it a cancer, but doctors are still debating what, what makes this ductal cell abnormality because it is not invasive. It's not like other cancer, like cancer cancers. And then the other issue is we've got 20, so that's 25% of all breast cancer diagnosis, but 15 to 25% of all the DCIS is also misdiagnosed. So then you've got just not even DCIS, but just something that they're saying is DCIS. And then that's prompting to women to go through the treadmill of needless invasive procedures, which is our biopsies, but for some, that leads to lumpectomies, radiation, and mastectomies. So that's one of the other issues. And then with mammography, you know, it has a 50% false positive rate and, and one in 12 of mammograms will lead to a biopsy. And then the other issue with biopsies is that it can lead to infection. It can spread cells. And right now, cancer recurrence along the biopsy needle track is at a 50% rate. So that's not a perfect procedure either. What, is, what are the alternatives for women? Because what you've described is, in my opinion, pretty dire. So what are our alternatives in terms of so, being proactive? The, the kind of, um, like, a good alternative that's sort of, like, technological is thermography. That's available right now, and what it does is it looks at heat signatures in the body, and it can detect cancer up to maybe a decade before 
through the heat procedures. And then, you know, you might go for a biopsy after that. Now, the, um, it also helps, like, the person who's reading it, just like a mammography. So you want to have a good reader. But the other thing I really like about thermography is that it um, – so it's looking at heat signatures. So some really hip and happening people with at a at, sorry, thermography clinics are also looking at other areas of the body and then connecting that – connecting those lymph channels. So some people will look at root canals or infections in the mouth and then see if they're following the same line. Um, because there's been some studies, too, that show there was a study of 300 women and it showed that, you know, 93% of them had root canals on the same side that they had the breast tumor. And then there was another doctor, Dr. Joseph Isels, who also, uh, he's in Europe and part of his protocol is to remove a root, root canal for can breast cancer and other cancers. And he has a very good success rate once they're removing that source of necrotizing bacteria from the mouth. So there's thermography, which is very good and very easy for people to do, especially if, if they're not looking at, you know, if it's like lifestyle changes, but it's just like, oh, well, forget the, you know, try thermography every year. So I like that because it's just like um, very easy for a lot of women to grasp that concept. But of course, I feel like preventative strategies would be like everything we just talked about, about knowing your hormones. And I would say... Do your GI test. Do you have candida? Look, know where your hormones are at. Do you have um, the more the estrogens that are could be on a pathway for cancer? Like how high are they in your body? How is your progesterone levels? I would know all that. And then you could do a different analysis also to see where you're at with heavy metals in your body. You can get an iodine sufficiency test. You can get a D3 test, see where your levels of D3 are at because Dr. Garland's studies show that if you keep your vitamin D levels optimal, you're looking at a risk reduction of anywhere from 50 to 77%. So that alone, that's huge. That to me is preventative when we really know where we're at with our bodies and we can use all of this different technology years in advance without accumulating radiation. So just to share with you, I had thermography done recently. Uh, there was some blue areas above my breasts getting into my armpits and so forth, and I was told that that indicated some stagnation occurring in that part of my body. And I have a couple of other friends that also went and did thermography, and everything came back good, except they also had the blue, meaning that there wasn't like a lot of activity, there was stagnation. So what do you recommend in situations like that when maybe our lymph system isn't optimally functioning, which could lead yeah, to things like cancers? That's a great question. And I actually had a friend, a really, she's a healthy friend. She's got a, a published book out, but, and her mother is so awesome, healthy too. And she just had a thermography. She had one like six months ago. Then she started doing the one, one thing that I recommended, which was breast massage. And she had her thermography reading in December, and they were like, I don't know what you're doing, but it's so, it's everything so much better. So that, that was really neat. And so breast massage, so what, first of all, what's happening is we're actually, we're getting lymphedema in our breasts. We don't think of it there. We think of it like you might think of uh, perhaps an 80-year-old woman with puffy ankles, right? She can't even get her feet in the, in her shoes, but we're, we're creating that um, with our breasts. And the lateral aspect of the breast, which is actually just the armpit, 
Um, but it, when people have breast cancer, sometimes it's in their armpit or, or the lymph nodes and all the way down. So when we're thinking of breast health, we have to include our armpit. And so there's a, a great book that was written called Dress to Kill. And in that book, the author discusses how, uh, like what smoking is to breast cancer, wearing a bra is four times unhealthier. So what smoking is to lungs, wearing a bra is four times unhealthier for the breast. Now, can you go into more detail about that? Any kind of bra, underwire bra, tight bra? So, yeah, so the bras are restricting our lymph system and they're causing a backlog in our breast. So th- that whatever is be- like getting trapped there and then it can't be circulated and el- eliminated through the body. And so it is underwire bras, but not just underwire bras. It's really anything that's, well, the best way to check is when you take off your bra or whatever's been holding them up, like a yoga thing or like, um, a, what are they called, sports bras. All of that, you want to look all around. You want to look on your shoulders and your back and under your breasts for any red marks. And if you have that, that means it's too tight, too restrictive. Because what that means is, you know, you're creating that backlog in your breasts. And then you want to just switch to something softer and gentler. I use just an organic cotton thing. It's got about 2% lycra. Um, if I, you know, if I'm leaving the house, if I'm in the house, I just don't wear anything. Um, but the really neat thing, and I think this is what might encourage people because I think women, we have this belief that that's actually what's, well, it is holding them up per se, but it's like, we think if we don't wear bras that they'll just sag. And we've got to realize that let's say if we put our arm in a sling every day, it would totally atrophy. And so when we put our breasts in bras, we're losing the natural suspension ligaments, especially when we're starting like with small, you know, yeah, small girls, not small girls, but young girls. Um, and then we're in the training bras, but we're just training them into atrophy and lymphedema. So many women, even menopausal women, have taken off their bras and they've said, oh, my God, you know, they got stronger and they were coming back. So and I breast I've breastfed for almost five years and I just feel like they're pretty much in the same position. If the truth be told. <laughs> Not that they're that big, but you know, they're still there. And so I really think like, you know, and of course doing exercise is important as well. But the other thing we can do for our lymph is also because it, it's great if we work out and exercise, but we may not be capturing the lymph. So rebounding is obviously awesome. Those jiggling machines, I can't remember what they're called, what are they called, the power plates or those, the whole vibration machines. But of course, that's a big investment. But what you can really do simply every day, and it's amazing for, you know, as a longevity practice, um, it's amazing to have great skin on your face as well. You're not going to um, do it on your face, but if you dry brush your body, your skin on your face gets glowing or glowing or uh, more glowing and more radiant because (laughs) it's all attached and you've helped the whole system work because the lymph system doesn't have a pump. It's not like our heart and it needs help. And there's so much that we do that creates stagnancy in our culture, you know, like just the way we work and that we're sitting at computers and, you know, all that kind of stuff and the bras that we're wearing so you, and you do it very lightly because um, of the, so, you know, if you have a massage, there's that 
that depth, and that feels really great. Um, but the lymph system is just under the surface of the skin, so you're not actually dry, you're dry brushing, but very lightly, and that's accessing the lymph system, and then you're always going towards the heart. And it feels great. You'll experience more energy and your skin will be clear and your whole lymph system system is going to benefit. And then, of course, that um, benefits your immune system and your digestion and it goes on and on. So I really, um, you know, totally advise that and it's only ever helped people. So you want to ditch the bras. You want to do dry brushing. And and then if you can, massage your bras and massage your breasts. And it's not a big deal. It's like if you're putting oil on your body after the bath or shower you just take a minute and you do the breaths and you do them um up up and around like uh, sorry upwards and inwards and that stimulates lymphatic drainage it releases excess estrogen it firms connective tissue it enhances elasticity and then of course you're doing it with pure oils and if you can um, I do make one, but you can also do one if you're using pure essential oils. And what essential oils have that's so key for breast health, if they're pure oils, they'll have a high content of monoterpenes, which is really just a big word for um, the antiviral, antifungal metabolites of the aromatic plants. And so what those compounds do is that they're especially good for breast health because they contain um, all this active molecules that help to encourage the lymph. They protect the cellular mitochondria, they boost immune and liver function. And that's totally not what we're getting when we're buying things at the drugstore and applying them to our body, right? It's the exact opposite. It's stagnating our lymph. It's lowering our immune system. It's clogging the liver. Um, But, you know, we have choices and we can be having fun with these choices as well and also just treating ourselves like Cleopatra in the process. This is something that I do every day uh, and I think um, for me, it, it just, it also mentally just makes you feel good that you're being very proactive about your health and I think that's half the battle is having a peaceful, calm mind and doing things knowing that what you're doing for your body is going to be beneficial, and then, you know, health is a state of mind, too. So, for me, I definitely do the breast massage every single day. I use the oil that you developed, and, uh, you know, Nadine sells this oil, and it comes with a card that explains very clearly how to go about um, massaging so that you can be really confident in what you're doing and, and how it's going to make a difference for your health. So, that's something that I do every day, and thanks for putting all that together because, I think it's so important for it to be simple, something that can be easily integrated into our everyday routine. Otherwise, if it's too complicated, you know, we can just avoid it. Even if we know it's incredibly good for us, we just don't do it. So you've made it really simple, easy, and accessible to integrate into our everyday routine, and thanks for doing that. I love doing that. (laughs) No problem. At the Longevity Now conference, which I cannot believe is next weekend, you're going to be taking the stage on Sunday. And could you give us a quick sneak peek into what you're going to be covering? Well, I'm going to delve deeply into this whole breast health issue because I think it's pretty huge because a lot of women feel that their beautiful breasts have become a liability and a burden um, to the extent where um, one of the solutions for some people seems to be prophylactic mastectomies. And, you know, I just feel like it's a beautiful part of the body. 
its biological purpose is to sustain life and uh, that, you know, we can keep them <laughs> disease-free. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of debate about what the roots of breast disease are and um, that there's a lot of unknown factors. But I feel um, that we can really examine what creates the perfect storm for breast imbalances and then look at regenerative strategies for the connective tissue and also look at the mitochondrial medicine that we can take that will inhibit gene mutation. So we're going to go into that. Nadine covered some of this material at the last Women's Wellness Conference and you got a standing ovation for about five minutes. So I'm so excited to see the new research that you're going to be incorporating into this year's presentation and I encourage everyone to be there and, and hear this, what I think is critical information because someone we know somewhere is being diagnosed with cancer or going through some type of treatment for cancer. And the key is prevention, and Nadine is going to pre present so many different methods that can contribute to that. I really look forward to hearing this talk, and I really look forward to seeing you because you're one of my favorite people. And <laughs> Let's have the best weekend ever next weekend. Oh, it's going to be a blast. We just love coming. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm so excited to see what new products you're going to be bringing there. I know you've got some things up your sleeve, and I can't wait to see what they are. <laughs> Friday, February 7th through Sunday, February 9th at our new location, the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Orange County, California. Join myself host David Wolf, featured speaker Nadine Artemis, and a host of other extraordinary speakers for the best weekend ever.